Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your bad son. And Luke. I'm Captain Captain Jingwell, the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwell, the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. The Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Blimey, it's hot in here. Yeah, man. Look at us. Sweating it out. Our studios are where we go to have visions about Star Trek. <laughs> Dump some coffee on those hot rocks. Yeah. Get the blood up. Uh-huh. If we're lucky, get in a naked Vigo Mortensen fight. If we're lucky. I mean, <laughs> but most of the time, that's just the vision that we have. Yeah. How you doing? I just put on maybe more Tiger Bomb than is medically advised. <laughs> That's the thing about Tiger Bomb, though. It's a distracting kind of pain, right? It's a pain that distracts from the original pain. <laughs> a pain that I prefer. It's an elective pain rather than a surprise pain. Isn't that always the better thing? I mean, I think that's why, like, some people are, like, are afraid of the vaccine is like what if it gets me sick well that's like why addiction in general right yeah i guess so i mean i'm a very pain averse man i don't like pain you'd be a very bad bouncer at the double deuce because to you pain does hurt pain does hurt uh, yeah i would want to be behind the chicken wire up on the stage um i have never heard of tiger bomb you have, are we talking about a mosquito bite or something more yeah. serious? Some some kind of bug bite. I don't know what exactly it is. Because I was out in my uh, my mother in law's uh, garden yesterday for ten minutes, and I just got absolutely annihilated by bugs. Oh yeah, you got to get yourself a big thing of tiger bomb. This is this is not branded content on the Greatest <laughs> Generation. What a what a strange and delightful bit of product placement it would be oh man maybe we should send a note to the uh to the ad sales team at maximum funds if they could solicit some tiger bomb spots for us yeah i don't see that happening i don't think they advertise anywhere ever <laughs> i think it's one of those things they don't need to yeah this kind of shit here sell itself adam it really does um, it's the sort of thing you don't want to touch with your bare hands like yeah. it's that kind of stuff it's like cutting up jalapenos you want to put on rubber gloves there's no bomb that's safe for handling, is there? All the bombs. Yeah. I prefer, if I'm going for a lightly analgesic thing, I go, I go gold bond. But mm-hmm. uh, they've, they've gone to, like, extra strength only, it seems like. Like, the lotion. Oh, yeah. they, like, they used to sell the lotion in, in a yellow bottle and a blue bottle, and the blue bottle was, like, more intense than the yellow bottle. It's, like, for net that way. Yeah, and... and in almost all areas of my life, I, I eschew subtlety, but that was one area where I really appreciated the lighter strength option. That really surprises yeah. me. I like to feel it. I like to feel <laughs> it in just about all things. <laughs> here's, here's my issue with it, Adam. I, I first became aware of Gold Bond as a product at summer camp where somebody said, put some of this on your balls. It feels amazing. And wow. like an idiot, I did. But they weren't tricking me. It was true. It did feel amazing. You know, I feel like most people's first experience in personal health <laughs> comes like that, <laughs> doesn't it? Happens at summer camp. <laughs> it's at summer camp or like 
or like vacation Bible school or like some version of that where you get the kids together out of the house yeah. in, in canoes, preferably get them talking about their balls. Yeah. I just, you know, or lady I, balls. This isn't a, I'm not trying to gender normalize a summer camp experience. Right. I, I think that like the thing is like, I'd never really had an opportunity to talk about, Hey, doesn't it suck that your balls are like pretty much always itchy and sweaty? And then, yeah. and then you try this and it's like, wow, for five minutes, they don't feel that way. You feel like the way they should feel. Yeah, but then you're just chasing the balls dragon, though. Except like, for the blue bottle, too intense. I don't like it. Maybe you got to cut it with the neutral sauce. Oh, I got to I got to step on my my gold bond, like like fifty percent gold bond, fifty percent Jergens. That's what I'm saying. Get it stepped on, moderate it a little mm-hmm. bit. Could I just do that with Tiger Balm though? Like mix a teaspoon of of Tiger Balm in with a tub of Vaseline. I think you've come up with a great product <laughs> idea here, Ben. I think we're ready to go to market. Man, kitten balm. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what I want. Wow. Well, is it helping with your bug bite? It is. It feels great. All I feel is heat. I don't feel any itch anymore. Well, that's great. I'm 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 glad. I I might I might finish recording this episode today and go uh, go to a store and get myself some tiger balm. Because uh, these Skeeter bites are no joke, man. Yeah, they suck. And they're real. They're very real. Yeah. I was told before moving to L.A. that they wouldn't be a thing, but they are. They are. It's been a weird year, though. Um, Everything I was told wouldn't be a thing in L.A., it turned out it was a thing. <laughs> what else were to. you told? <laughs> Everything is just like everywhere else, it's, except there's more of it. Yeah. That's L.A. That's a great way of looking at it. <laughs> Yeah, but I love it still. Um, well, like, like the song says. Well, Adam, uh, I, I know that they said that the the bugs would not. There are there are no bugs that live in L.A. But you and I both know that there are life signs of those bugs. Do you want to get into season two, episode nineteen of Star Trek Voyager? I'm just shaking my head at what a poor pivot that was. <laughs> I thought about it so much harder than I normally do, too. <laughs> you ran right into the pommel horse on that. <laughs> Boy, uh, barely any electrical activity to what it took to make that pivot happen, Ben. <laughs> Let's just get out of the pivot. The pivot's dead. The pivot is dead. The episode is very much alive. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 2, Episode 19, Life Signs. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. Paris is fucking up, Adam. Oh, I don't want to cut to the end too fast here, Ben. But, uh... I'm on Paris' side here. (laughs) (laughs) And throughout. Uh, He is late for work, and he describes uh, delivering Ensign Wildman's baby as an excuse. Oh, you should have been there, Harry. And then tries for a different excuse, and I was like, if if you actually delivered a baby, all is forgiven. (laughs) It's got to be confusing to deliver a baby in the mess hall, because everything Neelix makes looks like afterbirth, right? (laughs) She's like, I want to eat the placenta. And he's like, um, I think you might already have. I'm not really. <laughs> hey, uh, I know you meant to cut the umbilical cord, but that was uh, that was a Trevelyan blood sausage <laughs> you just cut in half. 
Yeah, he he pivots to I got stuck in the elevator, which really takes the air out of the delivered a baby excuse and makes it seem like Engine Wildman has not yet given birth. I don't understand why Paris is so bad at this. You want an excuse that holds up under scrutiny and and the she's she had a baby thing. There's a very binary answer to whether or not that is true, you know? This is the third time this week, Mr. Paris. Your excuse should, at the minimum, hold up under your own scrutiny. Right. You're the person who came up with it. <laughs> yeah. He, like, loses confidence in the, in the lie, like, halfway through telling it. I mean, this is the lesson of the yeah. past several years. You hold fast to that lie. Yeah. No matter how fucking stupid it is. <laughs> You never give it up, Tom Paris. Yeah. You delivered that baby at Neelix's. You know you did. Yeah. Believe it. He could have slopped some uh, Leola root sauce on his forearms and come in looking like he delivered a baby at the very minimum. Yeah, I think you got to mess with some makeup choices here. As it is, B-Dunks really does look disheveled. He looks like he needs a behind-the-counter Sudafed, like he's he's a little congested. His eyes yeah. are a little squintier than they usually are. He does seem like, like something is wrong with him in a way that feels like it's not just acting. It feels like he is affected. I don't think they have a counselor aboard, do they? This ship needs a counselor bad. Really Real does. bad. Because uh, Chakotay is a terrible counselor. Yeah. They get a distress call. And um, this is uh, a classic Star Trek open, kind of interrupting a very unusual Star Trek open. Right. And uh, this is a Vidian lady on a on a shuttle all by herself. This is what Vidians do, right? They trap you and then they take your your meat. <laughs> they take your meat and they put it on their meat. Uh-huh. That's what they do. That's what we know about Vidians yeah. and could be a trap. And Tuvok says, Preliminary scans show no other Vidian ships in this sector. It is unlikely that this is a trap. Tuvok's going to get people killed. Preliminary is not good enough, Tuvok. <laughs> a single Vidian with a gut buster phaser has done huge amounts of damage before on this show. Yeah. And you did plenty of pl- preliminary scans and didn't predict that. Look, Tuvok definitely isn't Worf. Worf being the single worst security officer in the history of Starfleet. (laughs) But Tuvok is kind of fucking up here. Yeah, he's really making Paris look good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they beam her directly to Six Bay. So in Six Bay, uh, the Doc and Kess are triaging just a laundry list of issues with their new patient. Yeah. Issues that are so great that they miss a giant pile of Christmas tree lights sticking out of her temple. Yeah. Like, he's standing in front of that thing for a while before it seems like he notices it. And and then he starts talking about, like, what it is and what it's doing, and Uh it is described as bioneural circuitry which is the mm-hmm. same shit that the ship runs on and i was like all right i know where this episode is going they're right. gonna like find a thing that they can like trade with the vidians like they can trade some medical expertise and maybe the vidians could could give them backup gel packs or something it would be great if that were the case it would that is not where the direction this episode takes though the doc has such latitude here with what he chooses to do, that he goes from patient close to death on the table to recreated as a hologram on another six-bay bed almost instantaneously. 
Yeah. <laughs> and what's weird is like the doc is telling Cass, you got to hurry up. This is an emergency situation. We are so short on time. Yeah. But then he totally luxuriates into the time he takes to actively create the clear sheets in a world book encyclopedia that shows the the, the different anatomical systems of a body that he's making. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of flourish there to that moment. It's like the fifth element, but rated PG. They don't yeah. they don't stay at the wide shot when they put the skin on. Yeah, they they cut to below the knee. That's the Amish cut right there. Yeah. The doc really missed his calling as a hologram designer. I mean, I thought it was a little bit weird when he was like Computer increased bust size 30%. (laughs) And to their patient's credit, uh, she doesn't make any choices of vanity either. Like, she more or less remains looking the same throughout the rest of the episode in an interesting way. I thought it was so clever the way this show figured out a way to give us a look at a baseline Vidian. Yeah. Give me a Vidian 7. (laughs) (laughs) Computer... Pump it up to eight. <laughs> you know where she was going. She was she was really more like a Vidian nine. Yeah. So in uh, the ready room, Chakotay briefs the captain on this situation. Basically, the plan is uh, we'll see if we can patch her up, no pun intended, and uh, drop her off at uh, the place she was headed, uh, which is kind of on our way. We'll be there in a few weeks. And then he brings up the Paris situation. And uh, he basically confesses to the captain that he's done with Paris's bullshit, but defers to her on all issues of Paris because he's sort of her pet project. I'm going to say it right now, not a great Captain Janeway episode. And I think it starts here. Paris is kind of her problem. She got him out of prison. Paris, we just saw a few episodes ago, was willing to go down with the ship with her post-self-destruct. They recently fucked as as lizard people. <laughs> they obviously have a special connection for more than just these instances I've described. And she totally either does not recognize or does not care to recognize their connection as a reason to get involved. Instead, she just delegates because a captain delegates, and that's what her job is. And I get that. Yeah. But if she cared about Paris at all, I think she would she would jump in here. Maybe I'm reading between the lines too generously, but I kind of think that her idea here is Paris needs to, like, get with the program a little bit more, and the chain of command stuff on this ship has been a little bit chaotic of late, so maybe more needs to be done to, like, reinforce those those boundaries. I mean, everything we know about Paris from, from the Bible study through these past two seasons has has shown us, I think, that Paris doesn't respond to the stick. He's a better employee around the office when he respects the authority figures there. And he yeah. doesn't have any respect for Chakotay. And it's... Well, it might also be a training mission for Chakotay in that, in that right. sense. If Chakotay is going to be XO, then maybe Janeway is like letting him do a little learn the hard way about what does and doesn't work with various senior officers i've got a theory about this i think paris needs to bang and like taking lizard captain off of the notch in the headboard <laughs> there 
<laughs> I don't think he's been the same since Kim started banging it out with the Delaney sisters. Yeah, it seems like uh, whatever he's getting in Sandrine's is not uh, holographically yeah. scratching whatever is itching him. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, that's my theory. Speaking of uh, holograms, this uh, this Vidian is uh, she's really getting a crash course in what her life is now. She is totally amazed that she's been revived in a way where she isn't covered in patches of other people's meat. The the doctor is being his kind of customary short self with her, but uh, she is like stepping into this whole new paradigm and totally amazed. You know, we, we get a little bit of world building about what it's like to grow up in Vidian society, and she she turns out to be a doctor so of of some kind. So it seems like um, she may be able to like collaborate with him on her treatment. And she's like, "What do you mean my treatment? I'm feeling great." And then they like walk around a corner, and she sees her corporeal self lying on the slab. Why are you crying? I was surprised that the scene started with her tears of joy in seeing her reflection and then having to wait so long before she sees her corporeal body and her reaction to that. Yeah, a lot happens in this scene. Yeah. In between those two moments. And that kind of sequence to her emotions is something that I think plays out a number of times in the sip. There's a very funny moment in this scene, Ben, that I'm wondering if it delighted you the way it delighted me. She has that conversation with the doc, which goes like, you're a simulation? And he's like, I'm the coolest, (laughs) best, most sophisticated computer simulation that there's ever been, which felt a lot to me like, you're a Star Trek podcaster? (laughs) (laughs) To which I frequently say, hold on. I know how that I, sounds. I am th- I am the host of a wildly popular Star Trek <laughs> podcast. I don't even understand its popularity. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand it either, Adam. <laughs> She's like, so I'm Dinara Pell, and you... And you... 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 No, no, wait a minute. That's it. Are still nameless, aren't you, Doc? <laughs> Uh, I guess I guess the thing is like she had that bioneural circuitry in her head, so she, they were able to download her her mind into the hollow matrix in the six bay, and and therefore uh, she's going to be projected like this for a while. But she's only got like a week before this starts to degrade it's like uh it's like being in a pattern buffer in the transporter like you can you can be there for a minute but not forever it's so interesting how body horror has been such a theme for this season and how benign that body horror is in this episode for most of it yeah up until its climax even because because i would have expected us to get a nice slather of burger (laughs) For the next 20 minutes, it's like her up close with herself and being disgusted by what she's seeing. Yeah. I feel like Vidians would be much wetter looking if they were like a Star Trek Discovery species. That comes later in the episode, Ben, in that 57 Chevy. <laughs> we get our one and only rack focus here between Burger Vidian yeah. and Dinara the Smooth. <laughs> They don't really overdo that no. in a way that I was grateful for. Yeah, that's a uh, smash rack and then a smash cut to BLT in the doctor's office. 
fielding his request to let him take some neural tissue from her and put it into this Vidian woman's head. And uh, she's not feeling exactly medically generous toward these folks. I still have nightmares about what those people did to me. And and you totally get it. Yeah. They don't say specifically why. They just speak in general terms, like BLT's experience yeah. in their care was negative. But <laughs> <laughs> I think BLT is, is more correct in her description of things. And I think you get a turn off Dinara Pell's hollow program while you're having this conversation. I don't think that's... Yeah, she is She is standing right there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, BLT is not afraid to stand up for herself, despite the no. social awkwardness of it. But uh, Dinara comes in and is like, hey, I know that this isn't like an idea that you're psyched about, and I totally understand that because you are super famous to Vidians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know all about you uh, because... Klingon DNA is special, and that was why they were so interested in her in the first place. It makes you like Dinara in this scene, no matter what the possible outcome is between her and BLT, because she makes the case that she cares about where her meat comes from. She's a conscientious Vidian. Right. She, <laughs> she's not just uh, she's not just getting whatever is cheapest by the pound. She wants the she wants the yeah. uh, farm raised. <laughs> Grass-fed, grain-finished. <laughs> She's going to Kagelson's. <laughs> you know what? Kagelson sounds like a place where uh, you learn how to do Kegel exercises. It though. does. So maybe. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Let's <laughs> well, let's work on that one. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Commendacino Farms. <laughs> Quoll Foods. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Later, we get some up-close work between the Doc Dinara and Dinara's burger body. Yeah. And uh, it isn't about Dinara receiving the compliments of, of her makeover. It's about the Doc being very receptive to compliments about himself. He is smug and self-important and bragging and... Also doing like a totally amazing procedure. Like he's describing this ability he has to like manipulate objects in such a fine way that he's like way better at surgical procedures than a corporeal doctor would be. But he's also got the benefit of the medical knowledge of 3,000 different species, not to mention Leonard McCoy. I think we've talked about this a few times before, but I wish the show were a little more nuanced about how people's treatment of the doc affects how he treats other people. Yeah. Which you understand to be true from yeah. this episode. Totally. Because, like, she's, she's, like, way nicer to him than almost anybody has ever been. And he's so responsive to it. It's that kind of nuance that I think would really have benefited the character up until now. When everyone was smashing his hollow nuts in on a on a basic every episode basis, you understood why why he was gruff and he didn't have the bedside manner that he developed later on when people were nicer to him. I think you could make a stronger case like over over his entire character arc that that was an effect on him versus these isolated moments in individual episodes where you see that i think it has it feels more coincidental 
mm-hmm. than than the result of actual character development over a long period of time. Yeah, it it does feel less like intentional subtext and more like an interesting area that they keep like accidentally wandering into. Exactly. They like instead instead of subtext, it's something that serves the story for this episode in a coincidental way. Yeah. And that's less satisfying. Yeah, I agree. Ah, excellent work, Doctor. I was only assisting. Well, uh, they are really hitting it off. She uh, wants to suggest a name for him. Yeah, this isn't a good idea. Nobody wants to be named Dr. Schmalis. Here's an idea. Like, if you're coming up with a name, like, never choose anything that just rhymes with small (laughs) or, or something that ends in is. Yeah. Especially, like, combining those two things, I would say. Not ideal. Yeah. He doesn't take it as being as emasculating as I think I probably would have. I think I like the sound of that. I didn't quite get the idea of, like, the doc is like, all right, Denara, time to put you away and turn off your, your program. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm ready to stay up late. I'm, I'm full of energy. Yeah. What does that even mean in this context? Right. Eight hours is so specifically, like, a sleep amount of time, too. They try to get the idea surrounded of, like, well, the longer her program is is up, the worse it is for her burger body. So we've got to, like, make sure that we ration out her energy a little bit. But I think there are too few mentions of that compared to a moment like this where she's like, I could stay up all night. Let's go somewhere drinking. And, yeah. and the doc is like, Sandrine's awaits. It never closes. Yeah, They serve food all night. <laughs> the kitchen never closes down. It's it's an amazing place. Yeah. Even Neelix is like, I don't know how they do this. <laughs> she's pretty astonished by just the idea of hanging out in groups. Yeah. And, uh, there were so many things about the way she describes the phage, about, like, the way it sort of becomes a scarlet letter in their society. Like, some of it confused me because she talks about, like, she kind of implies the existence of healthy, unfaged Vidians. I wanted to know so much more about that yeah. and, and their culture with respect to that, for sure, because I just assumed all Vidians are burger. I, I absolutely did, too, but... Um, she t- talked about getting diagnosed at nine and then like suddenly being sort of ostracized or isolated in, in ways, but also she's like a physician who travels around and helps people. So she's not like permanently ostracized. Like there, it makes an interesting case for there being like sort of a binary in their society where there are the people that don't have it yet and the people that do, and you can't really like cross the the boundary like you can't socialize with people on the other side of that boundary some of what she says really hits close to home in a our phage is just beginning kind of way (laughs) didn't feel good yeah she's like you know 35 percent of our society rejected mask mandates and the and the vaccine and it just stayed forever yeah we had a chance and now we're we're stealing burger and covering our faces with it (laughs) fucking sucks yeah Neelix steps in to take a big old dump on their table <laughs> before a random dude comes over to hit on her. And she is clearly just not used to, like, this is a fun bit of business, right? She describes how different it is to socialize 
with her culture, and then we see the effect of normalized socialization on her immediately after its description. So Neelix comes over and she's she kind of recoils, and then this random comes over and she recoils from him too. Yeah. It's a thing. And the doc is kind of a D-bag about this. Go away. Immediately. I feel like I would be too if the guy that was coming over and making things awkward and uncomfortable introduced himself as the morale officer. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, Neelix, read the room. If that's what your job is going to be, read the fucking room. You know, what's funny is the second guy that introduced himself to her also described himself as the morale officer. <laughs> the background music in this scene... I don't know if you watch this in headphones. I know sometimes you like to do that. I know sometimes you like to do a lot of things wearing headphones, Ben. Mm. But the music in this scene made me wonder if Sandrine's is always piping in the accordion music like it's a Disneyland ride, or if they just did it in this scene to emphasize the dancing conversation that they have toward the end of it. Oh, yeah, because she's not even familiar with the concept. And you can't do it? It's not part of my programming. I mean, I've seen dancing where I could imagine an outsider being like, that is fucking awesome. I am very curious about learning more about that. This does not really seem like that kind of dancing. It would be so fucking funny if they got the dancing wrong in this scene. And it's accordion music, but it's popping and locking. Like, because it's it's hundreds of years in the past, and it's the history of dance is compressed into this tight amount of time that 400 years from now is going to feel like all the same time. Right. And I feel like if you're making a hollow program that just shows what dance is, potentially in early 20th century France, like you could easily make the mistake (laughs) (laughs) that it is hip hop dancing or or something like square dancing even. Like the wrong dance here, I think would have, been yeah. a really interesting move. If she says, what's dancing? And the camera cuts over and it just looks like a major laser video. Coffee <laughs> <laughs> black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. So they watch this dance for kind of a long time. Yeah. This feels like a we're 20 seconds short on the episode kind of choice. <laughs> Got a little, little more coverage of this just in case. Yeah. This is a character who can uh, affect his own programming on a whim, basically. But when he watches this dance scene, uh, nothing seems more unattainable to him yeah. than than this ability. There's so much will-they-won't-they they energy, and this all feels like, you know, leaving himself out for, you know, being vulnerable to emotions that he doesn't know how to deal with, and... Um, I thought it was really sweet. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't matter what you're doing or what the context is of the hang. Ending the hang can always be awkward. Yeah. And this end to their, their hollow date is totally emblematic of this. Like, okay, I guess we're done. Yeah. With with what we were doing. Oh, go. Okay, I'm going to leave. I'm waiting. We're not playing last word. No. One, uh, two, three. Bye. Bye. This is something I'm starting to get used to again, like as we start to hang out with people. Like ending the hang, 
I've never felt more awkward about in my life. <laughs> I know. I feel like two years ago, ending a hang was an act that I carried out almost with hostility. Like, hey, yeah. we're done. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say to you, Ben, I, I, I owe you this. I'm sorry if I fucked up the end of any of our hangs <laughs> over the last year. I feel totally incapable of of doing them. I can't think of a single instance when you have. I'm sure I have. But uh, we're just trying to do better. Yeah, just trying to do better. But uh, yeah, so the way this one ends is with him turning her off for eight hours. I thought this is a really interesting choice that Picardo takes here because after he turns her off, he's alone for a couple of beats and the expression on his face he he was more professional looking when he was watching Paris take kettle chips off of his face <laughs> a couple episodes ago. Like, I don't know. It, the expression he's got here is almost abject horror at what he's done. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the midpoint between horror and perplexity, which is a very yeah. interesting emotional bouillabaisse to be swimming in. Did you forget about the Chicote and Paris story? No offense, but... Why the sudden concern for my feelings? Because I sure did. <laughs> yeah, we are like at the halfway mark of the episode, and uh, it's kind of our first check-in with Paris since that opening scene. And uh, it's Chicote kind of inviting himself to sit down with Paris in the, in, the, uh, in the lunchroom. Paris is like, yeah, you can sit down. I know what your reputation is. You come to the mess hall to punch people. Yeah. It'd be fun if every time Chicote entered the mess hall, like he was big swinging dick. I punch people in the face, Chicote. <laughs> he goes right up to the front of the lunch line. Yeah, yeah. He sits down and people scatter. They like leave yeah. the table. They're afraid of him. <laughs> yeah. This is the scene where Chicote finds out Paris is not the asshole. He is the asshole. Yeah. I've got a problem. My problem is you. I mean, I alluded to this earlier as being someone who took Paris aside. This is like a character flaw within myself. Like, I I was in many jobs for many years longer than I should have been. And the last few years I was there was often me being a petulant, moody asshole <laughs> because my experience there didn't turn out the way I'd wanted. And the creative freedom that I thought I had uh, was not available to me and would never yeah. appear the way I had hoped. And I was playing out the string before I could find a better job opportunity. And so, like, watching Paris articulate his gripes with a managerial figure made me feel like I knew what he was going through. Like, he's a qualified person who has some ideas and he's being smothered yeah. by a management class. And that sucks when you're that person. He does not feel like his suggestions are being uh, heard or given any consideration. And he suggests to Jacote that the kind of the smothered feeling that he has is not isolated to him. It's something that is really going around and... Sort of implies that basically anyone else in the lunchroom would sing the same song if if pressed. You gotta be fucking right when you stand up and go, and everyone here thinks the same thing. 
they all like they all just like embarrassed look away <laughs> i think this is a very hard scene to pull off especially at the end when he makes that grand gesture yeah and we do get a, a wider shot of the background if you make it too cartoonish you're like oh shit like chakotay's in big trouble but if you dial it back too much, it makes Paris look like he's on an island and like a bigger dick than you want him to be, like an irredeemable dick. Yeah. And I think they got the tone right here. It is pretty much impossible for Chakotay to come back with the energy that Paris is leaving with. So he just kind of uh, grants him leave to get, to get out of there. And we cut to Jonas, the, the Mayquise traitor, uh, transmitting with a pine cone and ratting out the fact that there is dissension among the lower decks on Starship Voyager. Marge Color will find that very interesting. Good work, Mr. Jonas. Up until now, it does not appear as though there's any end to Jonas's treachery. Like, we're not super clear on what his endgame is. Yeah. But it seems like he's willing to suck on a pine cone to get over there with Seska. Yeah. And it's so interesting that this guy that he's FaceTiming with, as soon as he starts bringing up sabotage as a, as a suggestion, Jonas is like, that's the bridge too far. And he FaceTime hangs up on him. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell in the scene whether he is using that as leverage to get Seska on the FaceTime or yeah. if he actually would refuse to do something bad to Voyager. But, uh, but you know, sabotaging the warp core would be a big deal. So he basically says, like, unless I'm hearing it directly from Seska, I'm not, I'm not trying to hear anything else. I get why we don't know anything about Jonas and we get our couple of scenes per episode of him skulking around on the periphery. <laughs> but man, I really wish we got a little more of him or like a Jonas Bottle episode. Because I'm not saying I want to know him in order to like him, but I want to know him in order to get him yeah. a little more. Yeah, he is a a very interesting character because he, he sort of seems like more of a born traitor than a like dyed-in-the-wool Mayquis. Because yeah. if he was a hardcore Mayquise, then he would hate Seska and everything she represents since she unmasked herself as a Cardassian. Yeah, I feel the same way. He's just he's just like a guy that has always uh, imagines himself to be the the victim in every scenario. Those type of people suck at him. <laughs> yeah, you wanna you wanna get away from those people. Yeah. There's no need to concern yourself with that. Back in Six Bay, Kess uh, is starting to sort of slide into the matchmaker role with Doc Holliday, a.k.a. Doc Schmollis, uh, because uh, Doc is, is feeling real distracted, real, uh, real up in his head about the whole, uh, the whole Dinara situation, and uh -huh. she's like, hey, maybe that's because you really like her, and you've got a lot of feelings right now. I understand, like, due to proximity, why you would make Kess the conduit for this advice. She's there. <laughs> but I don't think she's a great person to dispense advice about love for all of the obvious reasons, but also because I feel like she's a better person to talk about love in the context of impermanence. Mm. Like, if her deal, instead of, like, 
you know, it's so fun to just stand up in a broom closet with people <laughs> because that's what's in your show Bible description of you. If instead she's like, look, Doc, I know you might not get this now because you're a being of electromagnetic energy and you could possibly live forever. But as someone who has an expiration date, like seizing the day and and taking risks for love is worth it because you just don't know when your time is up is so much more of a compelling argument from Cass yeah. than, than just doe-eyed Cass being like, love is love. Like her, She's like Drew Barrymore-ing her way <laughs> through this scene in a way that's like cool because she's good at that. But I don't think it's it's true to her character. Yeah, I think that's a good a good punch-up for this scene, though, that, that uh, nothing is promised time is short yeah. kind of thing and and it would it would make the the kind of awkwardness of the next scene hit that much harder because it'd be totally. like like because he's in a hurry to do this yeah he and it's and it would be like so much funnier if he had been set up to feel like he was in a hurry that he yeah. had to do it when he was elbow deep in her brains totally yeah <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm really liking what I'm seeing here. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of things I would also like to be elbow deep in. <laughs> By the way, Dinara, I've been meaning to tell you. I'm romantically attracted to you and wanted to know if you felt the same way. Kess tries to jump in front of this shoot down, but it is way too late. Yeah, got it got real awkward real quick. And Dinara basically tells him, hey, thanks, but that's not really how I think of you. And he's like, okay, back to totally surface professional relationship. You know how else it would have nicely contextualized this moment? If by telling the doc to carpe the diem and he (laughs) does it too soon, you make Kes feel responsible for this in a far more acute way than than she does. Because yeah. there's a surface there's a surface level responsibility she takes where she's like, oh, I gave this guy bad advice because he's a dope, <laughs> and he interpreted it in completely the wrong way. But but if she had told him to go because time is short, and then he goes immediately, I think she could blame herself yeah. in a way that work would work better. That would be that would be another interesting element to the scene. I wish I yeah. wish it was like that. Yeah. One thing that uh, I thought about with regards to Harry Kim and his romantic prowess in this episode is how wise he is to keep that sort of on the DL. Mm-hmm. Nobody's coming to, to Harry Kim for romantic advice. They always go to Paris, the guy that's full of bluster on these topics. Kim's left alone to uh, play his clarinet. Uh, yeah, like he's free for for his own personal activities. Meanwhile, Paris... <laughs> Poor guy. A, uh, to be, a rich uh, history of being rejected by women uh, is the perfect person for the doc to go to for advice. What's it like? What What do you do when a lady dumps a uh, pitcher full of ice down the front of your shorts? I know I'm a doctor, so I should know the answer to this question. <laughs> How do I soothe these sore balls? I really love that. Um, all throughout the episode, the Doc refers to his romantic uh, feelings in very medicalized terminology. Yeah. He talks about like symptoms and stuff, and I think that that is a really fun bit of writing. And Paris is basically saying like, "Hey, 
the symptoms will get less and less bad over time if you're anything like me, but sometimes something will remind you of that person and it's going to hurt just as bad as it did at the beginning all over again. Yeah, this is a very well-written description and, and a credit to the writer for this moment. That was well done. But he also has the advice of like, you can't, if you want to date a girl, you can't just take her to the dive bar that you and your chucklehead buddies hang out at all the time. That's not a date. Fucking Neelix hangs out here. How good can it be? <laughs> I'm actually working on Sandrine's too. <laughs> just to fucking distance myself from the whole Neelix thing. You were there yesterday. Yeah. It sucks. It's, it's, he's, he's monopolizing the pool table? Neelix and a gigolo are standing around in this bar, and this is where you take your lady on a date? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Doc. Well, anyways, we go to Six Bay, and uh, this is Cass on the other side of the matchmaker equation having a, a private moment with Dinara. And turns out Denara really does like the doc. She didn't have the courage to admit it in the extremely awkward moment he chose to confess his love. I know this might be hard to understand, Cass, but like when you're looking down at your own burgered head, <laughs> <laughs> like super up close, and then you're watching a doctor like do some medical procedure on it, and then the doctor at the same time makes a pass at you. It's a tough moment all the way around. <laughs> you know, you want to feel attractive when you're getting with someone. <laughs> the doctor was asking out me on my best day in front of me at my worst day. <laughs> yeah. It's a real head fuck. Yeah. He, <laughs> if you can't handle me at my indicates bio bed, you don't deserve me at my indicates hologram. Yep. <laughs> So Cass is like, maybe you should get a little distance from your burger body and go uh, go do something else. So like, they're, it's interesting, Cass and Paris are giving both Denara and the doc similar advice. And they wind up in a uh, 57 Chevy on a uh, overlook spot somewhere on Mars. Maybe the the most boomery thing that has ever been yep. done in Star Trek is the idea that boomer nostalgia will be alive and well 400 years in the future. God, it'll never die, man. I, I fucking Fuck this. cannot stand this shit. <laughs> I, this is pretty consistent, though. Like, running at a low level throughout the episode is what the fuck Denara would know about anything yeah. at all culturally on this ship. But because the episode is about describing courtship as a man convincing a woman of his worthiness instead of being a person interesting enough to like in general, <laughs> it is about making this big grand gesture that the doc is doing. And it doesn't matter how little... Denara would possibly know about a an automobile or right. Mars or anything. <laughs> what, yeah, what any of this is. Yeah, I also just wanted to say that like scenes like this in TV and movies really fucked me up as a late bloomer because mm -hmm. I like this is a scene of two late bloomers figuring out what a date is and what it can be in yeah. real time in this car. And so I just imagined that I was going to, like, find another person that was as late bloomery as myself. 
you just tie yourself in the knot trying to do the thing that you think is the normal thing. Yeah. Instead of the thing that the two of you would most likely be interested in in a vacuum, like without right. all of the cultural expectation bullshit. Which would, Why is there any reason that they would have a good time doing this? <laughs> this isn't either of their culture. Yeah, it's, it's not. This is uh, whoever wrote the episode's fucking culture. This sucks. You know what I like to do as a, as a holographic medical doctor? is have sex with historically significant medical doctors throughout history. (laughs) Here's why they call him Bones McCoy. (laughs) One of the things he tries is uh, he, he indicates up at the stars and he says, hey, do you like constellations? What do you think of this one? It's called Hercules. What do you think of that cluster over there? That's called Pleiades nuts. And he points down at his balls. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we were at the trailhead for that one, and I was like, all right. <laughs> I didn't pack for this, but let's see where this goes. <laughs> Just incredible view at the top <laughs> for that joke. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan. <laughs> so they end, the, uh, they end the scene smooching. Hey, I'm going to follow up with the same question I asked earlier. If you were watching this with headphones, the sound design of this scene is bad and gross. Oh, is it I real they, lip smacky? I think they had to pump it up because the kiss happens in shadow, mm. and so you get a lot of a lot of mouth sound, like more mouth sound than I think you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> the the misophones out there are gonna really enjoy just, that. Just shoot this episode into the sun. I wonder if that's how decisions like this are made, though. Like, oh, boy, that it turns out this shot happens more in shadow than, right. than it looked like in the monitor. Maybe we got to turn this up hmm. sound-wise. I don't know. Um, I did not watch this scene on headphones. Um, so I did, it, it didn't leap out at me as being particularly gross. Maybe that's a headphones-specific problem. Like, maybe yeah. the sound plays a little differently when it's on, on speakers. I've got to get that One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. 
And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Back on the bridge, we realized that the doc isn't the only one coming late. <laughs> Paris arrives to find Grimes at his station. That's because Paris has been late so many days in a row. Chicote has just decided to stick Grimes on the slider seat. And uh, Paris, in a, in a moment of when dad says no, ask mom, just does not get his way in this moment. And when Chicote Chicote should not have touched Paris here because as soon as he does, Paris shoves Chicote and then Chicote takes a dive like some fucking soccer player after barely being touched. Get your hands off me. Not a good look for Chicote is my position here. Oh, you think you think he over he oversold the fall? Yeah, I think he oh I fell overed. <laughs> but I think part of it has to do with how the sequence is cut together because they cut away. Mm. Like, I kind of feel like a wider shot might sell the fall a little bit better because when Paris shoves, you cut to the angle onto the floor and then Chicote, in my recollection, falls into frame. Right. Yeah. And it looks a little clunky with that being the decision. It, it makes it seem less like Paris did anything directly. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredibly awkward scene. Like, I loved the framing at the beginning when... Harry Kim is like right in between Chicote and Paris when Paris like steps into the ball kicking machine. Yeah. Formally. Yeah. <laughs> and uh his quarter has been on that machine yeah. for a little bit. <laughs> but, he does have next. Yeah. 
Paris is sent to the brig. Where we don't see him. Yeah. And I kind of wish we did. Yeah. At least on Lower Decks, we get to end end the episode with Mariner sitting in the brig, right? I think that's part of my problem with what's happened to Paris up until now. Is like we see we see the punishment verbalized, but we don't see it affected on him. Yeah, like he's on notice. He's in the brig, but we don't we don't know what any of that looks like. Yeah, we have to like rely on our past Star Trek knowledge to know yeah. what that looks like, and. I don't know. I, I think it's interesting that they're slow rolling it as much as they are. Like, you would think a bridge officer being sent to the brig for cause would be the A story, but it's super not. I wonder if we're going to get the A story that that they probably considered at this moment in time. Like, where it is just Tom Paris as an unfunny Ferris Bueller, like, <laughs> fucking his way through an entire day, like... Just just being a shit everywhere. Yeah. He's no sausage king, Adam. <laughs> Over with Jonas, Seska uh, finally FaceTimes him back. Yeah. And she calls him Mike, which I think is consistent with how Seska operates. She uh, She's a little less formal. She's a little more flirty. Yeah. Makes her fun to be around, I think. She's really enjoyed reading the after-action reports about his other phone calls. Uh huh. Um, she's heard all of the messages he sent, and uh, and uh, the scene kind of ends elliptically. There's a planet called Hemekek Four that there's going to be some kind of drop set up at, and they mm-hmm. want Mike Jonas to to sabotage the ship in advance of that. I like how anti Kazon Seska is. In, in a dose like this, when she throws away a line like, I'm not having this baby on this fucking case on ship. <laughs> you can forget about that. Like, I kind of appreciate her desperation more now that the baby is involved yeah. than I did previous to this where she was just a chaos agent looking for the fastest way home. It's one line of dialogue, but it's so meaningful to me that she's like, get me, like, nothing is sterile here, Jonas. You don't understand. Like, these people do not care about hygiene. I would rather give birth in Neelix's mess hall than over here any fucking day. I know we'd probably lose track of the placenta, but that's a price I'm willing to pay. Look, I'll just have a number of things in my freezer waiting, and if one of them's placenta, that's fine. I will eventually make soup out of them all. Yeah. I know it's 50-50 placenta or Leola root, but <laughs> those are better odds than I've got here. Uh, Jonas, by the end of the scene, seems unconvinced still that sabotage is the answer. I, I'm keeping a candle lit for Jonas here. I wow. think he's going to do the right thing. Wow. One way or another, I'm going to take Voyager. Well, uh, we don't get to find out any more about that because we cut back to Six Bay where they are getting ready to pump uh, Dr. Pell's brains back into her burger body and uh, they... she's kind of a long burger isn't she <laughs> yeah I prefer them round personally I don't know how I feel about the long burger yeah. I like making a long burger that's fun Yeah, I just feel like by the time I'm through the the circle part I'm like that's enough burger I don't need the yeah. I don't need Another fifth of a burger. I think those are emblematic of the feelings many people have looking at Denara Pell's burger body. 
on the slab, most notably Hollow Denara Pell. Yeah. She has been messing with the injections. And uh, this really makes Kess look bad initially because it looks like yeah. Kess was not following instructions or maybe put the wrong drugs into the hypo spray at some point. And she's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> don't, don't get Tuvok down here. Don't launch an investigation. I did it. I don't want to go back into the burger body. I want to, I want to like end, end my life in this happier version of myself. And uh, I know that that's only a couple of days. This is just a better, a better way to go for me. Like, like I'm, I'm dead either way. Let me do it with a little bit of dignity. I love how many times the blame jumps around too, because it starts with Kess. And when Kess turns out to be innocent, I was like, oh shit, this is a doctor problem. Like the doc is so fucked up by love that he's actually making care mistakes yeah. with a patient. And it's not that either. No. When he confronts her about the fact that she administered nitoxanol to herself, he says, don't you understand? It's my duty to save that booty. <laughs> she wants to throw this burger body in the trash and, and lives a smooth, even if it's only for a couple of days, Ben, and I get that. This is where you really start to rack focus back and forth yeah. during this monologue, right? You really do. <laughs> but uh, and, and this is quite a long scene, but sort of resolves on the note of him persuading her to return to the burger body, even though they will have to drop her off at the Vidian colony once that is done. Like, they can spend a couple of weeks together and have a, a little romance, and that would be a huge gift to him. I felt bad that Dinara's main thrust here was one of vanity. The whole, once I hop back into Burger Body, you're not going to love me anymore because I look like that. And she gestures at the bed. Like, the doc could disabuse her of this with one stitch of dialogue. Like, I don't even see you right now <laughs> as a hologram. Like, I'm seeing information. Yeah. I'm attracted to you because of your personality, because I literally, like, I, what you think I'm seeing, you couldn't possibly comprehend. Right. It, it definitely reverts to some sort of, like, patriarchal standards. And, um, and also, I think that there's, like, a very real argument to be made that it's, like, very fucked up that he kind of, like... <laughs> Mao Mao's her into living a longer life than she wants to live so that he can be in love with her. Yeah. But it's not great. All that being said, like like the like criticism of the text of the scene, if you set that aside, the scene really worked for me and I feel like these two actors sell that he con convinces her to go back into the burger. It's more satisfying if you think about it retroactively from the end and moving backwards. Right. Like, like the end point in this scene is the doc doesn't want to go back to before times either because she changed him in the way that he's changed her. Yeah. His burger heart has been changed, <laughs> Ben. Yeah. He, he was just existing before and now he's living. <laughs> so that's, that's the thing. If she goes back into her body, her body will have to leave to continue her mission in two weeks. Yeah. So 
I wasn't quite sure whether or not to believe Dinara at the end of this scene because anyone who <laughs> who injects their burger body with nitoxanol seems like they're a danger to their burger body at this point in a way that I might not want to yeah. like leave alone. It's right? got toxin right in the name. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of fucked up. Yeah. She could have hammered that burger yeah. and she did not. The button on the episode, a scene that made me incredibly grateful that I have a television in my studio and didn't have to watch this in front of my wife. <laughs> uh-huh. Tell me more. She, you know, she, she works from home most days in, you know, in, in a dining room that directly adjoins our living room and would have seen this on the TV. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of thing that somebody that hadn't watched this episode and didn't know much about Star Trek would see and just be like, what the actual fuck are you watching? <laughs> Show me another show that can earn a moment like this, though. You're presupposing that I feel the same way, Ben. You don't, you don't have to agree with me. I felt like this moment was earned and, and really touching and sweet. I'll tell you what I did really like about it is that is how it ended specifically. Yeah. Like I I'm still not sure whether or not the scene works for me emotionally the way it's supposed to, but I sure do love that we get a dance to credits without any kind of doctoral postscript scripting or he's walking her to the transporter pad somehow or right. or whatever. Like I don't want a goodbye that's a resolution. I want a more complex goodbye. Yeah. Doc like doctor's personal log as a yeah. precedent that was set earlier in the episode. I could see that temptation in the writer's room to end on a personal log as well. Yeah. And I think it was so much stronger that they didn't. I agree. Well, did you like the episode? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. My issue with the episode is my issue with every artifact of television and film from this era. Just the thing that's going to take a generation to undo the damage of. The idea that if you can just convince a person to love you, that you can both be happy. Right. It's the source of Miriam problems. And <laughs> I mean, it's just an incalculable amount of, of interpersonal problems. Among so many people. Yeah. It's so amazing that there was such a market for this completely preposterous depiction of courtship that does not really bear any resemblance to real life for such a long time. Like, all movies and TV were like this. It's done so much harm to, like, I'm not going to speak generally, like, to me specifically. <laughs> yeah. And it's just wrong. Yeah. Like, so much of the, like, heartbreak I experienced in my in my early life of trying to date people was down to expectations that were set by shit like this. Yeah. So, I mean, on a, on a macro level, <laughs> I can't possibly like this episode while there are many good parts of it. Like the, like I really did like the doctor's performance, really strong doctor season, I think this year. Yeah. Um, I liked seeing, Susan Dial again. Did you recognize her as as Riker's Riker's babe that got killed by the crystalline entity? Yeah, she's she's great. I thought she was really good in this episode too, and I can appreciate 
that a main storyline in Star Trek Voyager is going to have the Doctor going on a very data kind of journey where he becomes more human in some ways that that intrigue. But, I mean, it's not like TNG was ever very good at, at those depictions, especially where uh, romantic relationships were concerned. Yeah. So that's where I'm at with it. What about you? I feel the same complications about it. But, um, I didn't, yeah, for whatever reason, like, I, this, this one just feels like it lands in my good column. Hmm. And it's an interesting puzzle, and I, I like that the Doctor is becoming more and more vulnerable and is a character that this show stays interested in because I think, like, when the camera is on Robert Picardo, he is bringing up the average on this show. And... Mm-hmm centering episodes around him uh, tends to really slap for me. So yeah. while I'm, yeah. I'm not thrilled with every single choice they made uh, in how they depicted this, um, I think it's an, an interesting new development for him and makes him feel like a more and more interesting character. Well, getting more and more interesting by the week is our priority one message inbox, Ben. You want to go check out what's over there? Oh, I would love nothing more. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. And that message goes like this. Want to support a great cause and have an awesome and maybe nerdy evening? Join Bridge to enter in Advanced Mathematics, and in parentheses, BEAM, for a slightly mathy puzzles and trivia night to support low-income and historically marginalized students doing advanced math. Wow. Live in New York and L.A. and online anywhere. Not only will you be supporting equity in STEM education and helping bring the Star Trek future closer to reality, but here, everyone is the Jim Shimoda of their team having a great time together. So to learn more about this program, you can go to beammath.org. That's B-E-A-M-M-A-T-H dot org. Wow, that's great. This is a cause that I think is super worth supporting. Um, yeah, I think so too. You know, lots of lots of kids that have tons of aptitude just don't have the opportunities to, uh, to flex that aptitude, especially in things like advanced math. So... Uh, Check out beammath.org. Adam, we have another priority one here. This one is of a personal nature. It's from Gary of the Day, and it's to Lore, Lore Dog, Lori. <laughs> Goes like this. Lore, Lore Dog, Lori. Look, listen, here's the thing, okay? Remember Toronto? Remember Ben and Adam? Remember telling them we're married, but specifically not to each other? Yikes. It'd be a shame if we reminded Ben and Adam about that. That'd be embarrassing. Could be worse. At least we don't have two Star Trek podcasts. Sorry, guys. Oof. Hey, post-COVID hang? Yeah. Gary. <laughs> Gary of that day and Lore Dog. It's funny, like, it is extremely hard to remember specific moments of the post-show hang. Yeah. 
And I wouldn't have remembered this moment <laughs> had Gary of the day not reminded me, but I absolutely do remember this. Man. <laughs> I, I always have so much fun in, uh, in Toronto. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Gary and, and Lori did too, just like so many people. Those Toronto shows, always a barn burner. The, the gift that we give to the Friends of DeSoto is that we will be the vessel for all of your embarrassment. You can pour all of that into, into us and into the show. And uh, don't carry it through the rest of your life. We'll feel it for you. You can't pour your embarrassment from an empty embarrassment cup. <laughs> so go go endure your embarrassments, Gary and Lori. And then pour into our cups. Our giant embarrassment hoofs, yeah. if you will. Mm. More than enough room for that slushy beverage. <laughs> ben, our final priority one message is from Nancy. It's to Kyle. And the message goes like this. I know... That 2020 was basically a time butthole and the entire year is hard to remember. But for your birthday last year, I got you a cameo from Commander Riker. Whoa. He even sang happy birthday to you. This year, you get a priority one message on the greatest generation. Great wife or greatest wife. I love you. Happy 38, Kyle. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Kyle. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> we gave you a duet there. What did Commander Riker do? Uh, wow. Well, if you'd like to get a Priority One message of any kind, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Uh, and, uh, and set it up. We really appreciate it. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I was rolling along through this episode, and I was like, God, I don't know if I'm going to find a drunk Shimoda. And then I encountered the drunk Shimoda post-credits. Oh, yeah? <laughs> so, like, we dance into long fade-out into the, into the three-credit is that the uh, the part where Nick Fury appears after the credits to invite Dr. Denara Pell to join the Avengers Initiative? Our three producer credits fade to screen. And then what you often get in a show is is like the the first guest star that isn't an official guest star on the show pops up. Right. And Rick Giannassi as Gigolo is the very first credit <laughs> that pops up after the producer credits. And I just think it's great. Like, you look at Rick Giannassi's career, he's done a lot of, like, trauma film stuff, which I think is great. Oh, fun. So initially, I was like, boy, if you're Rick Giannassi and you're like, hey, look for me on, I get some lines on, on Voyager, it's going to be great. Never mentioning the character or what his name is or, or anything at all. Just to get your name and the character name all by itself in the credits as the very first slate after the the producer credits, yeah. I think is awesome. Yeah, that's pretty I'm going to make that moment the drunk Shimoda of the ep for me. I want to give mine to Neelix. Um, same scene. I just It just really made me laugh the, hi, I'm the chief uh, morale officer. Um, yeah. And I feel like uh, just just it's very fun the way they write him to be like so fucking oblivious to what he is, what he's running roughshod over. 
it really gives him a break because like if you're bad socially and yet you have a job and a job title that's your out it's your out and you're in yeah like hey i'm a total dope i'm the morale officer like that's <laughs> that's basically how this goes every time and he has a reason to be a dope yeah. every time yeah he's he's the social director of the cruise and uh <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing cool about that role you know yeah We'll find out if and when we ever do the Star Trek cruise, Yeah, how, how true that might be. That's what they should bring us on for. Oh, to social direct the Star Trek cruise? Yeah, we'll just give everyone a hoof and call it a day. That's all you need to do. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Well, Adam, why don't you uh, head over to gach.biz slash game while I tell you about season two, episode 20, Investigations. Neelix helps smoke out the crew member who's been passing Federation <laughs> secrets to the Kazon. You can't use that terminology these <laughs> days. You can't use that terminology for the past 30 years. <laughs> what are they doing? Yeah, I mean, also that was probably written like relatively recently for Amazon when they got the license to run Star Trek Voyager on, right? They know what they're doing. Yeah. All right, Ben. Uh, we are on the second row of the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker, a, a place on the board we will never leave. <laughs> it doesn't feel like we can. Currently, we are on square 20, the end of that second row. But if the past, I'm gesturing to the past few months behind me, mm-hmm. uh, is any indication, uh, it is here where we will remain. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I have the die in my hand. Let me give it a roll. Ben, I've rolled a two. Wow. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. A two means we have made it to the third row. Uh, We've got a banger a couple squares ahead. But for the moment, we've got a regular old episode next week, and we are on the third row of the game. Hey, at least we jumped over that his eyes uncovered square, which people always get mad at us for doing. Yeah. Instead, people can get mad at us for all the normal reasons. Yeah. It's a regular app by us. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, maybe uh, consider supporting the production of the program by going to MaximumFun.org join. Or support the program in one of the Miriam free ways that are available, like recommending it to a friend or subscribing to it on your mom's iPad. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Or, uh, you know, leaving a nice review on Apple Podcasts or talking about how much you like the show on social media. At about this moment in time, we will be wrapping up our coverage of Star Trek Lower Decks on our hit new Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Discovery. You got to check out that show. If you like The Greatest Generation, I think you're going to really love Lower Decks and you're obviously going to love The Greatest Discovery. Two of the greatest podcasters doing it. Yeah. If you would like to follow us on social medias, at Greatest Trek is where you do it. And those accounts on Instagram and Twitter are run by the card daddy, Bill Tilly. Uh, He really makes those a fun place to hang out. You can also find communities of Friends of DeSoto all over the place. Uh, There's the Drunk Shimoda Discord. There are Facebook groups for basically any uh, category of, uh, of fan of this show. And uh, there's also uh, greatestgen.fandom.com, 
which I think is what took over for Wikia. I think they both still work. Oh, I gotta go over there. Um, and uh, there's a great Reddit sub as well. Yeah. It's important to stay organized when you tell as many dick and fart jokes as we do. <laughs> that is true. Um, and, and they're all right there. Hey, let's talk about how much we appreciate the musical stylings of Adam Ragusea, who made the Janeway song theme song to this program. And, uh, and also the, the food stylings of that self-same goose who uh, makes a great cooking show over on YouTube. Just search Adam Ragusea. It's hard to know what he's better at, really. Yeah. Uh, we also uh, really appreciate Dark Materia, who let us use the Picard song as our original theme music. Full to bursting with gratitude. That's what we are. Yeah. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that uh, presupposes that maybe we should have a jazz gummy square on the board, given, given some of these episode descriptions that we're dealing with. I like that idea. Maybe we just make it happen Whoa. for that one. <laughs> <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.